This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, and you can pick more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. And with Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute or while doing chores or walking the dog or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, you can check out the recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Listeners of Get Booked can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code BR3. And with each listen, you can take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 171, and we are recording on March 5th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are reunited and coming to you from Book Riot. And it feels so good. I was like, what has it been like a month since we talked to each other? Yeah. It was fun having other folks on. But it was so fun. But I, did, <laughs> I miss talking to you about books, Amanda. And all of our chili. I know. Talk. I was like, I haven't talked about hot chocolate or chili with anybody in like four <laughs> This is chili a travesty. is almost over, Jen. What are we going to eat? <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, what are you reading right now? Um, I am, this is so embarrassing. I am finally reading Steak Tectonics by Michael Older. Yay! I know, which is the third book um, in the Infomocracy series. Uh, I, I mean, I've talked about like my weird system for reading sequels here before, and I finally got around to the second one, uh, which yeah, I can't now, I can't remember the name. Infomocracy. What's the name of the second book? Oh, it's, um, Shoot, I know it. I own it. What is it? Same. I had a sign. Ca- Whatever. Anyway, the second book in the Infomocracy series. Um, and I was immediately like, I'm going to finish it because it's so good. And it is so good. Null and state. I- Null, Null states. states. Thank you. Yes, that's what that's called. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you? Um, I am also reading a sequel. I'm reading the second book in the Asiana series by Rati Mehrotra. Um, it's called Mahimada. And the first book was Mark's Women, which I really loved. Um, it's like a future where aliens have sort of landed. I mean, I'm assuming it's Earth. But anyway, aliens have landed and left behind all this technology, including this like special rock that um, is telepathic. And in this future, there are these orders of assassins who have special blades that are bonded to them. Them. And um, in the first one, you meet Kira, who's like, you know, an apprentice and she gets sent off on her first mission. And she's like all about revenge because her entire family was murdered by a terrible dude. Um, and then like internal politics, you know, happen and she has to go <laughs> on this big adventure. And um, the first one ends not on like a huge cliffhanger, but it's definitely you're like, oh, gosh, what? 
is going to happen next. Like some threads have been tied up and, you know, one of the bads has been dealt with, but there's still so much left over. Um, and so I'm just like a couple chapters into this new one. And my poor fictional babies are having such a hard time. Like their lives are not easy, Aww. as is correct, because, you know, they're mid like war, basically. Um and I really am curious to see how much more of the world building we get in this one. Like, do I get to find out more about the aliens or like, you know, I don't know. There's so there's so much interesting world building in this series. And I'm dying to know more at the same time that I also am like, what will happen to my fictional babies next? So <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about it, but I, it's still too early to say like how much of that I'm going to get. So but I'm enjoying it. So, yeah. So that's our story about that. So this is, as you know, this is a recommended, uh, excuse me, reading recommendation show, which means that you send us questions about what you should read next, and we will do our best to find you a good book. You can send those questions either via email, it's getbooked at bookriot.com, or through the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. And if you have a question that you would like a response by a certain date, please put time sensitive and the date that you're hoping to hear back by at the very top of the form form or in all caps like subject line of the email. We'll do our best. If we don't think we're going to get to it on air, we might email you a response. So keep an eye out for those. And I think that's all the housekeeping. Um, yeah. So Amanda's going to read her first question and tell us about our first sponsor and away we go. All right. Our first question is from Hannah, who says, I'm looking for some books as a present for my mom. She did her degree in English Lit, but as a mother of five, she really hasn't had much time to read over the last 15 years or so. She recently read Destiny Disrupted by Tamim Ansari on holiday, and that sort of kickstarted her return to reading. So I'm looking for something in a similar vein-ish, uh, Middle Eastern or Islamic history or world history through a non-Eurocentric lens. I've already bought her This Orient Isle and A History of the World in 12 Maps, both by Jerry Bratton. Nothing too long, please, as she still doesn't have a massive amount of time to dedicate to reading. And if you can find anything written by a not, by not a white man, that would be extra great. <clears throat> okay. Before we get started, I'm going to talk about our first sponsor, which is Flatiron Books. These are This is the publisher of The Reign of the Kingfisher by T.J. Martinson. I just read Marissa Meyer's Renegade. So this like, this is, and this is a superhero novel. So it's like ringing some of my mm. bells because I'm, I'm writing that like superhero novel phase um, or wave rather. Okay. So The Reign of the Kingfisher is the sponsor, not The Renegades. Um, and this is a debut novel. And it's about Chicago and about like 30 years ago, a superhero tried to, you know, clean up Chicago. Um, and in present day Chicago, a room full of people have been taken hostage. And the gunman says he's going to kill the hostages one by one, unless the police will admit that they fake the death of the superhero whose name is Kingfisher um, and helped him give up his defense of Chicago 30 years ago. Um, and you're also following a retired reporter named Marcus who made his name as a journalist covering the superhero while he was cleaning up Chicago streets. Um, and then Kingfisher died and Marcus slid back into uh, you know obscurity. But did he really die? And who's going to, who would take hostages 30 years later connected with this like really obscure superhero that nobody's heard from in all of this time. Um, and so Marcus teams up with like a hacktivist. I love that word, a hacktivist named Ren <laughs> and a disgraced police officer to explore Chicago's um, kind of political corruption and violence and find out what happened to this masked vigilante. So it's like got this cool mystery thriller, sci-fi crossover vibe thing happening. So check that out. That's the reign of the Kingfisher by TJ Martinson. Okay. Nice. I'm going to keep talking. 
Um, mm-hmm. I went with, yeah, world history through a non-Eurocentric lens. Uh, I picked Insurrecto by Gina Apostol, which came out last year. And I love this book so much. I think an English lit teacher would really appreciate it because it is very, I don't even know how I'm going to say this, Nabokovian? Nabokovian? It's very Vladimir Nabokov. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's super, super m- meta fiction in this very like highbrow way that I'm kind of obsessed with. So it takes place in present day. It's about uh, a woman named Magdalene who is a translator in the Philippines um, and another woman named Kiara who is an American filmmaker um, who is the daughter of like another, you know, really famous filmmaker from the 70s. And Kiara's decided that she's going to write a script about a, an incident from the Philippine-American War that in 1901, where um, some, I mean, quote unquote, rebels, like people who lived there in Samar in the Philippines killed, I think it was 30 American soldiers who were um, colonized on their, in their neighborhood, basically, and treated them very poorly. And in retaliation, the American soldiers um, killed tens of thousands of people who lived um, in the Philippines. Um, and so Kiara wants to write, you know, a movie about this because her father wrote a movie about Vietnam that he filmed in this location in the Philippines. So she feels like she has this personal connection to the Philippines. She asks Magdalene, who is Filipino, to help her translate um, some documents and things and help her write the script. Um, so you get both this American white woman's script and also Magdalene's script, which is completely rewritten. Like she rewrites the whole thing. Um, and that clash between a colonizer's perspective and someone who is from the Philippines perspective on an event that happened before either of them were born or even their parents or grandparents were born is really, really fascinating. Um, it's, like I said, super literary, very like Italo Calvino. If you like, if on a winter's night a traveler, I think you'd probably really like this. And despite that fact, I mean, I went into this knowing that it was going to be highbrowish, um, but it was super readable. Like it was not a thing where I had to sit like sit down and focus and put on my glasses and make reader face you know like it it's just a very enjoy it's a very enjoyable and interesting book told in like a really clever kind of way um so it's insurrecto by gina Apisal. i have to read her i saw i saw her read in person Ooh. one time and she was amazing and i like need to get to that um i picked a nonfiction for you i picked the faithful scribe by shahan mufti which is a book i read when it first came out and really loved because it is really fascinating It's both sort of a family memoir and a look at the history and um, culture of Pakistan. So his, like Shehan Mufti's family, um, have been judges and jurists in Sharia courts of South Asia for like a really long time. It's this family tradition. Um, and Sharia law is the Muslim law. Um, and so they, ha- he has this sort of, you know, family lore about that tradition. And then because he's a journalist, he's also looking at sort of his, like, his family history from the personal side, and then also how his family's history reflects the history of the creation and development of Pakistan. So it's a really interesting way to look at it. And Sharia law is not something I knew anything about before I picked this book up. Um, I mean, despite having taken Arabic in college and having some like basic familiarity with the region and, you know, the history, um, there was just so much that I didn't know. And I've read more Indian history, interestingly, enough than I have read uh, Pakistan history. So so that was really interesting to me. And I think that this lens that 
he's going on is super approachable. And also, you know, I think it's nice when somebody is like very upfront about their biases. Like, you know, his bias is going in because he's very like, here is here is my relationship to this subject matter. Um, whereas I think in some histories, um, you don't always know where the person writing it is coming from. And inevitably, that does color the information. So I think it's always interesting when somebody is upfront about their personal feelings and attachment to the subject. Uh, personally, I, I, I appreciate that lens a lot. And because he is a journalist, like he is, you know, looking at the bigger picture as well as these smaller moments and personal histories. Um, and it's so readable and it's so interesting and really heartfelt. And I just found it fascinating. And I think she would really get into it. Uh, so, um, so yeah, so that's The Faithful Scribe, A Story of Islam, Pakistan, Family and War by Shehan Mufti. All right, let's see. Our next question is from Caitlin, who says, I recently devoured The Alienist after being intrigued by the premise of the TNT show, and I'm looking for books with a similar vibe. I loved the way the book pulled in the criminal mind-esque intellectual sleuthing and the rich atmospheric setting of a literary novel, and the pacing was fantastic. Can you recommend some similar books that combine a mystery thriller plot with a setting as character feel? That is such like a well Mm-hmm. articulated question mm-hmm. very, this is very well phrased caitlin thank you for that <laughs> go okay. ahead i'm done talking okay. for a minute um i picked fingersmith by sarah waters um which i think has a very similar feel to the alienist like there's similar times and, and places and then there's crime so yay but this one is just oh it's so hard to talk about fingersmith because it's such a twisty spoilery kind of book so i'm only going to give you like a very little bit so it's victorian takes place in victorian england and one of the main characters name is sue she's an orphan um she's raised by what they call a baby farmer which is just like a woman who lives in london and is part of like london's underground crime um scene who take like steals babies basically she's a baby snatcher and then like sells them for various and sundry purposes um so sue is raised as part of this household um and she is trained in how to be a petty thief like a pickpocket and all this kind of stuff and one of the other thieves who is associated with the family his name is gentleman she he comes to the house one night when sue is grown and tells her that she's got he's, he's got this proposition for her if she goes to work as a maid to a woman named maud who is a um kind of silly airheaded rich wife um of a rich dude and they live in the country and she doesn't see anyone and she's very isolated um and and helps gentlemen seduce her and marry her then they can take all of that money that Maud is eventually going to inherit and you know be rich as thieves as it were hey um and so <laughs> she does that she goes to um this country house she gets the job working for Maud and the plan is once they've got her you know married to gentlemen and they've got her money then they'll put her in an asylum and everything will be fine and it does not go that way things don't go well um one of the things that interferes with the plot unfolding is that sue develops feelings for Maud herself um and it gets these like kind of torn loyalties between gentlemen who she's known on her life and who's going to give her all of this money and help her escape this life she doesn't love um and this woman who she's fallen in love with um and so Oh, I can't say anything else. Like, I can't even tell you what the mystery is that they're solving. That's such a big, like, twisty twist in the middle of the book. But I will tell you that it's gritty. Both of the settings, like the, the city settings and also living in this kind of rundown country house are so well imagined. And you just feel 
like you're living in them covered in dust and it's super, super weird. Um, Sarah Waters is brilliant at that. So you will definitely feel like the setting's a character, but I can't tell you anything else. Okay. So that's Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The first book I thought of was The Gods of Gotham by Lindsay Fay, which is oldie time New York. It's uh, the mid 1800s. And this is about like, it's set around the formation of New York's first police force. Um, And I will tell you that this book, it's a trigger warning for harm to children, like so much harm to children. Um, So if that's not going to work for you, like skip it. But um, the main character, Timothy Wilde, is a bartender who is, you know, like many bartenders are very observant because he's, you know, keeping an eye on his clientele, who's going to be a pain, who's not going to be a pain, who's going to give him a tip, etc. And then a huge fire devastates downtown Manhattan, including his bar. And so he's like, He's unemployed, he's burned, he's homeless, he's got not a lot. Um, But his older brother, Timothy, is very involved in the NYPD political scene. And so is like, oh, I've got a job for you. Like, there's this new thing. We're going to have a police force now. And you can have a job on that. And he's really skeptical, but he does not have anything better to do. So he takes the job. Um, And he's assigned the Sixth Ward, which is right at the border of Five Points, which you probably know of. And... um, And one night while he's doing his rounds, like a little, a 10 year old girl covered in blood literally runs into him. Um, And so he like, you know, catches her and takes her home to try to figure out what the heck to do with her and gets sucked into this mystery where, you know, dozens of bodies are buried in this, you know, place and she knows why, but she doesn't want to talk about it and she's afraid and, you know, how is he going to get to the bottom of this? And it is really, like, it's so atmospheric. You really are just sort of wandering around you know, old New York with Timothy um, and like seeing, you know, the people and the tensions because the Irish potato famine is also hitting around this time. And so there's a huge influx of Irish who were treated very poorly um, in a lot of ways. And so there's like these, you know, racial and in cultural tensions and, um, and then this horrible, you know, somebody's killing little kids. So, like, what is going on? Uh, and it's a first in a series. So, if you like it, there's more. And I think it definitely has the feel that you're looking for. It is very, I mean, Faye has talked about how she's obsessed with Sherlock Holmes. And so, you know, part of this is an homage to that kind of sleuth. So, I think it will, I think it will fit into your, fit nicely into your wheelhouse. Um, so, again, that's The Gods of Gotham, which is the first in the Timothy Wilde series by Lindsay Faye. Sleuth. Such an underused word. Ah, right. Can't ever spell it right. I love it. Okay. No. Right. It's that new thing that's so tricky. I don't write words for a living. Can't spell sleuth. All right. Question three is from, oh, we have Allison, Steph, and TJ writing in together. My friends and I were talking the other day, and we realized that we don't know of any recent books that are written from the perspective of the best friend of The Chosen One. We figured that Sherlock Holmes, parts of Percy Jackson, and The Great Gatsby would kind of fall into that category, but nothing else came to mind. We'd love to read something from from the perspective of a Ron Weasley or a Sam Gamgee-type character. Did I say that right? Yeah, Samwise. Okay. Who's always seeing their best friend get into trouble and getting dragged into it themselves. We're open to any genre, but we especially love fantasy. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I came up a little short on this one, and I took it to the contributors, and Rincey recommended The Rest of Us Just Live Here by Patrick Ness, which I think is kind of perfect for you. So... As you can probably tell from the title, The Rest of Us Just Live Here is about teenagers who are not super powered 
who just lived there. So it's like in a high school. It's very Buffy-ish. Like it's in a high school. And some of the teens who attend that school are, you know, special and chosen and are like worshipped by animals in weird ways. Um, and they have their various and sundry shenanigans. They blow up the east wing of the school or one of them dies or whatever. And every chapter opens with one of the like chosen ones dealing with something like that. And then follows everyone else in the school as they go about their lives while that's like happening in the background. So like a superheroed friend of theirs dies or a superheroed friend of theirs, you know, causes an explosion somewhere that they now have to deal with while like on their way to third period and worrying about who they're going to ask out to prom. So it's very much about like, what do you do when you're a normal person surrounded by these people who are like selected by you know, means that no one really understands. And it's kind of like a low key examination of privilege that I really appreciate, which I guess all superhero stories kind of are. Um, but when told from the perspective of people who were like just trying to get through the day, it really gives it an interesting twist. So that's The Rest of Us Just Live Here by Patrick Ness. Yeah, I co-signed that. That is exactly the book I would have recommended to you. But Amanda Sorry, got, well, to got to it first. Curse <laughs> you. Curse you. <laughs> My um, this is really hard. I know that there are more, but I just was struggling to come up with them. And honestly, this is a really hard thing to search for. Like peripheral narrator is what mm-hmm. you're looking for. And it's not the most useful Google search. Um so I, yeah, I'm I'm going to keep thinking about this one. But the book I do have for you is Slayer by Kirsten White, speaking <laughs> of Buffy. Um, and it is a new line of like Buffy verse stories um, that they have just recently put out. I was really excited about this. I was very hopeful. And when I saw that Kirsten White was writing it, I was even more hopeful because I tend to like her. And I did really enjoy this one. And this is what this is, is what if Sam suddenly became the chosen one. So the main character of this, Nina, is one of the is a twin. Um and her and her sister Artemis like grew up with Watcher parents. They grew up in the Watcher Academy. They're sort of been training to be Watcher support. Um but even to that extent Nina is sidelined because like Artemis gets all the weapons training and gets to take the Watcher test and is like, you know, in line to become sort of like the person, like the the new Giles or whatever. And Nina has been told and has felt all her life like she's too weak, she's too slow. So she's not even going to get to be a watcher. She's just kind of like support. So she gets trained in, in healing. Um, she's sort of like a medic, uh, apprentice medic. And um, and that's what's going on in their lives when the events of, you know, the last season of Buffy happen and everything like gets blown up. And then some more things happen. But like in the meantime, the Watcher Council has been decimated. People are dead. People are missing. All of their slayers all over the place like what in what on earth does a watcher's life look like now and so they're holed up in this castle the secret castle um that's like hidden from the outside world uh because that's the only way that they survived and trying to figure out what happens to them next and then nina suddenly starts manifesting slayer powers and so she's like oh shoot like I'm not trained for this. I don't, I'm not supposed to be a chosen one. Like I am the opposite of a chosen one. How do I cope with this? How does this change my relationship with my sister? Like, and her mother is very prickly and, um, there's a lot of mother daughter issues in this book. And so, and her mother keeps denying that Nina has anything special or could possibly have powers. And so there's a lot of really intense feelings and expectations and identity questions in this book. It's just like, who do you become if you have always been on the sidelines 
and like have accepted that as your place. And then you get pushed into the chosen one status. Um, and so like, it's got to feel good, but it also feels terrible and frightening. And like, how do you cope with those responsibilities? So I really think it's, it gets into a lot of interesting feelings, even though it's not exactly what you're looking for. It's, you know, adjacent. Um, so again, that is Slayer by Kirsten White. All right. Our next question is from Amy, who says, I just finished Bonfire by Kristen Ritter. And with the adaptation of Sharp Objects, I'm looking for more books like these. In particular, I'm looking for small town mystery slash psychological thrillers where a woman with some sort of dark past comes back and tries to reconcile the past. The best ones are the sort where a current mystery drags up some awful stuff from the past. I've read all the Tana French and Gillian Flynn books, but otherwise I'm pretty new to the genre. So anything like this would be great. The darker, the better. Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) amazing all right what you got amanda okay i feel like i just talked about this book on this show but i'm going to do it again because i haven't reached my limit for the year so it's into the water by paula hawkins um paula hawkins wrote the girl on the train so you're probably familiar with that name but into the water is very much like girl goes back to hometown and dredges up some stuff uh kind of a thing um, so Nell is there. The book is about two sisters, Nell and Jules. Nell dies like when the book opens. Um, she's found in this pool of water in a river that runs through the village where Nell and Jules grew up. Um, it's assumed that she jumped. So Jules has to go home back to this village uh, because she doesn't have any. Nell didn't have any other living family, and you know take care of her affairs. Nell also has a daughter who's a teenager, so she's got to figure out like what she's going to do with this teenage girl. Um, but when she gets home, when Jules gets home. And starts kind of going through Nell's things and thinking about her death. She becomes more and more convinced that like there's no way she would have jumped. Like she's in the middle. She was in the middle of a bunch of really exciting projects. She showed no signs of depression. You know all of this kind of stuff that make her think like mm, this is sketchy. Also, her town has like a weird history of girls disappearing into that particular river. Um, and she's not thinking. It's usually younger girls. And you know Nell is a grown woman who you can't ascribe it to like teenage whatever like this doesn't make any sense so she starts doing a bit of digging while also doing a bit of grieving while also raising a teenage kid who she's like suddenly responsible for um and of course in doing this digging into both her sister's death and the death of girls who've lived in this village in the past stuff about her neighbors start to come out and i'm not going to say anything else um but it is a very like it came out in 2017 when i think mewtwo was starting to uh really pick up steam in the public attention or in the public's like attention span. And not that it, I mean, it was already happening at the time, but people were starting to really pay attention to it. And it feels very not prescient. It was not prescient, uh, appropriate, I guess, or like timely. It feels very timely to what's happening um, in our culture at large right now. So that's Into the Water by Paula Hawkins. I had to get help with this one. I have read the ones that you've named, <laughs> but like nothing else. So <laughs> I went and asked the contributors and Jamie Rochelle gave me a recommendation that I think actually is pretty fascinating and may fit really well for you. It's actually nonfiction. It's a memoir. It's After the Eclipse, A Mother's Murder, A Daughter's Search by Sarah Perry. And this is uh, the author, Sarah Perry. Um, on the night of a partial eclipse when she was 12, she, like her mother, was murdered a couple days later in their home in rural Maine, like feet from her bedroom. And the killer escaped unseen and it takes the police 12 years to find him and And so in that 12 years, like Sarah has grown into an adult and struggled with like being, you know, part of police and ongoing police investigations and losing her mother and, you know, trying to rebuild her life. Um, 
And she's like, her entire life is about, you know, this search for a trial and a conviction and the questions being answered. But when that finally happens, the questions only grew. So she goes back to the small town in Maine um, and tries to sort of understand, like, what happened? Uh, and like, how do you, how does she, like, is this going to be enough for her to move on from this terrible thing that happened to her? Um, so it has like all of the elements that you're talking about, but is actually a real person's real life story, even crazier. Um, so I think that might be very interesting. Um, I certainly, I can't decide if I really want to read it. Really <laughs> That's don't. kind of awesome. awesome. <laughs> like, it's definitely, it could give me nightmares. Like I'm very interested and also don't want the nightmares. So we'll see. Um, but that's after the, excuse me, after the eclipse by Sarah Perry. And it is time for our next sponsor, which is The Lady from the Black Lagoon by Mallory O'Meara, published by Hanover Square Press. This is when I turn into like Buddy the Elf. I know her. Like, I know her. <laughs> I know Mallory. Um, and yeah, super excited for her. This is her first book. Buddy the Elf. I, I haven't read her. it yet. I know. I know her. Um, but this is for fans of monsters and Hollywood history and uh, all of those good things. The Lady from the Black Lagoon uncovers the life and work of Millicent Patrick, who was one of Disney's first female animators and the only woman to create one of Hollywood's classic movie monsters. She created the creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, and she should have been hailed as a pioneer in the genre, but there's very actually little information available about her. Um, her contribution had been claimed by a jealous male colleague. Colleague. Her career had been cut short and then she disappeared from film history. So Mallory O'Meara like went looking and is now restoring Millicent Patrick to her place in film history while also calling out a Hollywood culture where sadly very little seems to have changed. Um, so it highlights the discrimination against women in Hollywood, relevant then, relevant now. And um, this is, I mean, if you've ever met Mallory, you know how obsessed she is with like monsters and creatures and all of those kinds of things. And so uh, it's cool to see that come out in a historical standpoint. Um, so yeah, it's available now. It's a tour.com most anticipated book of 2019. Um, Bustle has also called it out. Lots of people are excited. So if you are interested in film history or monsters, or feminist nonfiction, this is one you're going to want to pick up. Again, that's The Lady from the Black Lagoon by Mallory O'Meara, sponsored by Hanover Square Press. Thank you so much. Um, okay. I got just I was like, I looked up the skin again because it's so pretty. There's a big ad for this book on the oh, site yes. today, and the top banner says, She did the work. A man took the credit. And it's just, <laughs> it's like so on brand. The cover is beautiful. Yeah, it's very I love colorful. the cover of this book. Yeah. All right. Question five is from Brian, who says, I was, uh, I come to your podcast for your love of diversity. I was wondering if you could come up with some diverse reader likes for some of my favorite dead white guys Hemingway, Camus, Bukowski, and Vonnegut. Any recommendations who are not white or male are welcome. This is our wheelhouse. <laughs> this is what we were made to do. Okay. Um, I'm going to keep going. Welcome. I picked Severance by Ling Ma, which I think is a really good Vonnegut comparison, especially Slaughterhouse-Five. Slaughterhouse-Five is not about like the end of the world, um, but it does have a very apocalyptic kind of feel to it. And Severance is a apocalyptic slash post-apocalyptic satire in the same way that Slaughterhouse-Five and a lot of Vonnegut's books were. Um, so this is specifically about like the millennial experience and it's about a girl named Candace who lives in New York at the beginning of a flu or um, is it a flu? I think it is. No, Shen fever at the beginning of this like 
biological yeah. epidemic right. um, that sweeps the world. And people, the thing that the flu does to you, I keep calling it a flu because all of all apocalypse movies about sicknesses are about some kind of flu. Um, what this <laughs> illness does to you is it makes people repeat the same action mindlessly over and over and over. So you'll catch the Shen flu and then you will pick up your phone and put it down forever. Or you'll like wash a dish forever. Like you get stuck in this, it's almost like a zombie-ish kind of thing where you get stuck in this rote um, kind of, and you're like unconscious and that kind of thing. Um, so of course, civilization grinds to a halt. And Candace works for a publisher. She works for a publisher of Bibles. Um, and they just, con- she just continues going to work. Like when the movie, oh, movie, when the book, oh, it is very cinematic. When the book opens, she, her boyfriend has dumped her um, and she goes to work. This This illness starts to spread. But she keeps going to work like she keeps getting she wants the overtime as people are, you know, succumbing to this illness and stop coming to work. Um, She wants the overtime and she keeps coming in and punching the clock. And then eventually she looks up and realizes that, like, she is alone (laughs) in Manhattan uh, and no one else is is really, I guess, alive is a way to put it. They're still alive, but they're not living. Um, So she goes off. She knows she's not gonna be able to survive on her own. So she hooks up with another group of survivors who are leaving uh, Manhattan on foot and they're led by this guy named Bob who's like an IT tech who's also a weird authoritarian religious fascist guy like it's just it's odd it's very much about um like it's very incisive about these parts of of modern living in a in a very like Vonnegut kind of way especially his short stories like this feels very welcome to the monkey house to me um so I think it's a good Mm. comp so that's Severance by Ling Ma yeah, I'll co-sign that um, for sure. I was thinking about Hemingway, and then I remembered The Occasional Virgin by Hanan Al-Sheikh, um, which I read last year. And it, in certain ways, it reminds me of Hemingway in that, like, it is about two women uh, who start out in the French Riviera, just sort of like bumming around, having food and running into people and having conversations in bars or whatever. Um and then making some poor choices, um, or at least maybe not even poor. Well, yeah, I mean, I would consider them poor choices, but like making choices that you're like, Ugh, like, really, that's what you're going to do right now. Um, and you get in a way that you don't get with Hemingway, like you get sort of their personal histories. I mean, it is a novel. You get their personal histories and like sort of what's led them to this point in their lives. Um, but there's not a lot of like it's all interpersonal drama. There's not like a big plot here. It's very much just about them and their interactions with each other and then their interactions with the people around them. And in that way, and also the style is very straightforward and a little bit spare. So in that way, it reminded me of some the Hemingway I've read in where the drama is just in sort of these characters interacting with each other and the world around them. Um, and so uh, Ivana and Huda are our protagonists. When the story starts out, you see them in their th- mid thirties and they've met together, you know, to take a vacation together in the French Riviera. Um, but they are both originally from Beirut. Um, Ivan was raised in a Christian family and Huda was raised Muslim and they are both carrying baggage from their childhoods. Um, And I should give a trigger warning for family violence uh, as well. Um, And so you see them sort of like, you know, being young women, one of them's like kind of looking for love. The other one is not, you know, so comfortable about that. Um, And then the ways that that plays out in their current daily lives. And yeah, nothing like huge happens, but it's got a big, it's 
it's got big feelings in it. Um, and also you're like, you are just sort of tootling around, you know, the French Riviera or London, like talking about the food or the bars or like the little market. So yeah, I think this will also sort of feed into that kind of wheelhouse. I don't know how to describe that wheelhouse, but I feel you on it. And I think this fits in there. So again, that's The Occasional Virgin by Hanan Alsheikh. Okay, our next question is from Marilise, and she is looking for... Uh, I recently read a book by Kate Regnery called The Vixen and the Vet, which is a modern fairy tale retelling of Beauty and the Beast that features a wounded warrior as the love interest. This book hit many of my sweet spots, and I find myself craving more wounded warrior romances as well as more modern-day fairy tale retelling romances. I would like to w- stay away from any romance books that feature instant lo- insta-love, a literary pet peeve of mine, or extremely graphic violence on the page. What suggestions do you have for me? Um, I'm going to keep talking. I picked All Beautiful Things by Nikki Salcedo. There is some violence on the page, but it's I don't think it's extremely graphic. Um, so I think you'll be okay. This is a romance that is, to my mind, a sort of reinterpretation of Beauty and the Beast. It doesn't have a veteran in it. But um, what I love about this is that the female character in this is sort of the one who feels beastly. Um, so she's a socialite. Ava Camden uh, is like from a very prominent family in Atlanta. She's black and she was attacked seven years ago from the time the novel starts. She was attacked on the sidewalk of uh, outside of an upscale restaurant and like a knife wielding stranger, you know, brutally scarred her, her face, her body. Like she was attacked with a knife and just barely survived. And now she bears these scars and they're very prominent. So she's, she is incredibly self-conscious about herself, both in terms of her appearance and then also being known as sort of this woman who was the victim of this attack. And um, there was only one suspect, a 20 year old white star athlete um, who was about to have a pro football career. um, And he was like very, very drunk and he was found over her body holding the weapon. And so he was convicted and sent to jail. Um, And his brother, Graham, uh, never believed that his brother had done it and has been writing Ava letters for years. They've never met, but he's been writing Ava letters for years. And he's sort of, you know, grow up poor is now made good and runs a bunch of hotels and he's trying to use his money especially because joel is up for parole um he's trying to use his money to like clear his brother's name and find out you know who actually did it um and ava in the meantime has been receiving these letters she's never written back but she's also read them um and they sort of get thrown together by circumstances and everything sort of unrolls from there so it's a little bit of a mystery like what actually happened that night and who is responsible. Um, And then it's the love story, you know, a very unlikely love story because these people have so much damage and hurt between them. Like how can you ever sort of bridge that? Um, But I thought it was really amazing. Like it's, it's just such a unique story and I'd never read anything exactly like it. And it does feel very much like somebody, you know, who feels like they are this sort of beastly figure and are so self-conscious and so in, in drawn and like not, and hostile to the outside world. And like, how do you, how do you let go of some of that? So again, that's all beautiful things by Nikki Salcedo.
Okay, I picked a um, historical romance called The Escape by Mary Ballow, which does not have insta-love. They actually really hate each other. (laughs) And for like the first third of the book, which I find really charming. Um, So the hero's name is Benedict, and he is a survivor of the Napoleonic Wars. He was a soldier um, during the Napoleonic Wars. And I don't remember how he gets hurt. I think it's like during a battle, and I think his horse falls on him. But his legs are crushed. He walks with two canes um, and can't can't ride horse, uh, can't, he can't dance. He's like, he's not physically active. Um, and he lives next door to Samantha McKay, who is the heroine. Her husband has died, um, and took quite a while in doing it. So she has been like several years. So she has been like this dutiful wife with this husband who she didn't really have a lot of feelings for, but out of, you know, duty and all of this, um, she stayed by his side while he died over many years again. Um, and now she lives with her really strict and oppressive in-laws who have a lot of feelings about like what she's allowed to wear and if she's allowed to take walks outside alone and who she's allowed to talk to. And all she wants to do is go away. And then she finds out that she has inherited uh, like a little cottage in Wales, which is like way far away from where she lives. Um, and she wants to go live there by herself and just do what she wants to do for a little while without these people like controlling her completely. Um, she meets Ben, who is her neighbor while she's living um, with her sister-in-law. Uh, when she is out walking alone, when she's not supposed to be, he like jumps out of a hedgerow at her and they get into this big fight. They're they're like not, I know, actually, I think he is. He's like trying to ride a horse or something like that. And the horse comes at him and he falls off. It's like this whole thing. She doesn't realize that he's disabled. And it's just, you know, it's the setup of like, I hate you. I love you. I hate you. I love you. Um, but they become friends over time. And then he finds out that she wants to do this thing. She wants to ride off in a carriage by herself all the way to Wales to get this house. And he's like, you can't, like, you just can't. Your reputation is going to be ruined. You're going to get robbed. So he decides to chaperone her, which is its own thing. Because, like, now you're alone with the dude in this carriage. But she doesn't care because she likes him. So they are stuck on this trip together um, and are navigating his disabilities and also his PTSD. Um, while at the same time, she's trying to decide, like, do I want to get married again? You know, I just got out of this marriage that turned out to be this really big trap for me. And I've just gotten my independence. And is this a thing I even want? Like, maybe on this trip, we're just gonna have a whole lot of sex and then never speak again. And maybe I'm fine with that. So there's a lot of internal stuff going on. I really like this romance because the people in it are adults. Like a lot of times, not a lot of times, but sometimes you read a romance, it's like the, the, conflicts that the characters have that keep them apart are just that they're immature and like don't know how to communicate or like don't know what they want and can't figure Mm -hmm. it out but both of these characters are grown like they've been through some stuff they know how to communicate what they want they know what they want it's just a matter of figuring out if they can make that mesh together so it's a really interesting romance and all of the books in this series uh it's called the survivors club are about people who were wounded um during the napoleonic Wars. so you've got a whole series of wounded warrior romances that you can read so that's the escape by mary ballow mary ballow mm-hmm. is so good mm-hmm. i love her all right last question is from dana who says i'm in a book club with a fantastic group of women i just said fantastic really weird fantastic group of women <laughs> we tend to read mostly literary fiction but have also enjoyed memoirs and the occasional thriller one of our members is a romance lover and she gamely reads everything the rest of us suggest without complaint we've never tackled her favorite kind of books i'd like to propose a romance as our next selection Can you recommend a romance that would be good for those of us who aren't necessarily fans of the genre as well as good for a group discussion? Um, Okay, I'm going to keep talking. I love this question. I love that you're like open to reading what she likes so that she feels included. That's just really nice. It's just a really nice book club. Sounds like you're having a good time. Okay, I picked The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory. It is a contemporary romance, which I think the historicals 
um, both by virtue of the clinch covers and the settings can be like cause hesitation from people who are new to the genre. So I think a contemporary would probably be an easier um, entry point for folks. And The Wedding Date is about a woman named Alexa who gets stuck in an elevator with a guy named Drew um, because the power goes out. And he is in town to go to a wedding. He doesn't have a plus one, but he really wants a plus one because he's attending the wedding of like his ex and doesn't want to show up by himself. And so they hit it off in this elevator weirdly. Like they've got chemistry they have witty banter. So he asks Alexa to go with him to this wedding as his like secret, not secret, but as his fake girlfriend, um, basically. And she agrees because why not? You're cute. I'm here. Let's do it. Um, so they, they go. And then after the wedding is over, they both go back to their lives. Drew is a doctor. He's a surgeon, I think. Um, so he goes back to LA and Alexa goes back to Berkeley where she's from. She works for the mayor's office. I think she's the chief of staff. Um, but they can't stop thinking about each other. And it's just like fake fake romance turns into real romance. But the reason why I think this would be good for book clubs specifically is that Alexa is black and Drew is white. And they have to navigate all the ways in which Drew is approaching this relationship from a position of privilege. Um, and also they're both professionals, like well, like successful professionals in their fields. Um, so they're busy and they don't, neither of them necessarily want to give up the things that they've earned in their professional lives to make time for a new relationship. So there's lots of stuff to navigate and lo- a lot of things that I think modern readers can relate to. Like we all have that. Do I want to make time to go out with my significant other or do this work on this project? Like everyone's had those feelings before. Um, and the power dynamics of the relationship are really interesting. And uh, Jasmine Guillory also addresses like Eurocentric beauty standards and what that's like when you're a black woman dating a white man and how like the things that people say to you in that relationship um, who you know who aren't your boyfriend but like people out in the world who are observing the two of you together um, so there's a lot to talk about I think so that's the wedding date by Jasmine Guillory one of my friends mem- memorably referred to that book as competence yes! porn yes! which I was so like <laughs> So fantastic. Um, Also, I feel like if there's anything we've learned from rom-coms, it's that if somebody asks you to be a fake date to a wedding, you should go. (laughs) Um, I actually went the complete opposite direction of Amanda. I did pick a historical romance, but I picked it because I feel like this romance in particular feels a lot like it could. It's just like if you didn't, if you were nervous about the term romance, like you could also recategorize this as a historical fiction with mm-hmm. lots of sex and love. Like that is what this book is. Um, and it does not have a clinch cover, memorably. And it is an extraordinary union by Alyssa Cole. It's the first in the Loyal League series. And um, it is so interesting because she is taking like actual research about, you know, Civil War and spies, uh, particularly, and then spinning it into this, you know, big, bigger story that also is about two people falling in love. So Elle Burns is our heroine, and she is a former slave um, who has an eidetic memory. And so she uh, has been living free in Massachusetts, but she volunteers to spy for the Union Army, and the mission they send her on is to pose as a slave in the South for this, like, well-placed plantation owner, um, they think he's going to have information about what the South is planning to do next in the war. 
So she like voluntarily undertakes this hugely dangerous mission um, in the name of uh, the Union Army. And then Malcolm McCall is the hero. He is white. And he is, we have, a, we have an accidental <laughs> theme here. Um, he He's a detective for the Pinkertons, uh, which were like originally a spy service. Um, and he is also trying to infiltrate this same, uh, this same sort of, area um but he's posing as like a rebel so when they first meet she he thinks she's a slave and she thinks he's working for the other side um and then you know things start to come clear and there's all kinds of tension and weirdness and complications um and in the meantime both of them are risking their lives trying to get information back to the union army and so it is very intense it is very historically rooted and you're also having these really intense power dynamics speaking of power dynamics between these two characters who are just like in peril super attracted to each other but have so much to deal with um interpersonally so there's just and the book like does not shirk any of that like really takes all of that into account and you're just like oh how are these two how are these two gonna make it and also what is gonna happen to their missions like oh it's very intense so and it's the first in a series and you know the other books like are similarly very rooted in this historical time and place and i think it's just so first of all this is very unusual in historical romance like you get a lot of regency you get some american history i've never read another civil war romance that was done like this um and it's really amazing and then you know i think cole is a great writer i've read a lot of her work um and she really does like want to craft a good story and thinks about pacing and structure and all of those things which i think a lot of people don't normally associate with romance to their you know discredit um so, yeah, I think there's a lot going on here. There's tons to talk about from a book club perspective. And if this is like your entree into historical romance, I cannot think of a better one. So that's An Extraordinary Union by Alyssa Cole. Uh-huh. And that's our show. Woo! Uh, we didn't yeah, talk about Chile once, it. Amanda. <laughs> we are slipping. <laughs> we did. We said the word. It's true. We said the word. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you are so inclined, we would love to get a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks to find the show, and we do love to see the feedback. Thank you to today's sponsors for making the show possible, and you can find us on social media. Um, my Twitter handle is Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's, IRL. Oh, uh, I'm mostly on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we'll talk to you next time. 